You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Turn to Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 19. This will be our second to last sermon. I mean, next week it's going to be probably a, a brief message as we just follow close off the book of Hebrews. We're gonna be looking at the benediction next week. It's kind of the words I'm kind of writing for those, uh, really for the young people in the congregation. I'm gonna be writing the message tailored to them regarding that benediction. But this is the last major section of the book of Hebrews. Uh, and then I think next week, hopefully we'll be able to present to you the, where we're gonna be going in the, in the month of June. Um, but right now we'll keep that a secret. All right, um, Hebrews 13, verse seven. Verse 7, Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then we uh, let us offer continually up sacrifices of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this, for the church the church meeting all around the globe at this moment. We thank you, Lord, for that. We praise you today in the way we know how. And God, we are grateful that you receive our offerings of praise, our lives as living sacrifices of praise to you, which is our worship that we give to you. Today, God, would you remind us of these truths? Would you remind us of the things that we have learned throughout this study in your, this amazing book of Hebrews? But God, would you continue to teach us as we go from this place, help us to grow in knowledge, in grace, in truth. May you be honored and glorified today in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 13, like I said last week, this passage, and we went through verses one through six last week, it's very straightforward. It's very... um, hits you right where you're at, you know? He doesn't uh, really do a lot of complicated things in this passage except for one section here. 
But I was looking at the passage and thinking about how it does seem to be a little bit different in the sense this passage is very, uh, he, he's jumping from topic to topic. Remember last week we talked about love, marriage, and money all in one sermon, you know? Again, nothing applicable to any of you in that one. You're like, there's nothing here for me, okay? Uh, but hopefully some of you got something out of that. But uh, so many topics of different things. And then he kind of keeps going on, verses 7 through 13. He's going to touch on, on leadership. He's going to touch on um, uh, false teaching. He's going to touch on uh, really the true nature of the gospel and atonement again, which is something he's been building this whole time. He's going to really motivate us to go out and, and to bear witness. Uh, and then he's going to go right into praise and singing and worship and offering those. And then he's, uh, he's going to finish again with a reminder in leadership. And then he's going to, and so he's just like bang, 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 bang. And he does seem like almost like he's, he's hitting topic after topic because that's kind of the nature of this chapter. This last chapter is a little bit kind of a, it's like a huddle with the church. Remember, he's been, uh, okay, I was joking with, with a few people earlier trying to figure out this opening illustration. I'm, I'm a, I was going with sports or, or military, and, and I'm like, it, one of somebody was like, you always share sports illustrations, so you should probably just stick with what you know. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go with military, because I know nothing about that, and I'm gonna try to go for that, because you know, I gotta vary the illustrations for you people. You know, some of you are like, ah, oh, he's always sports illustrations, right? But the passage is more, in a sense, like a, like a military briefing. Okay, the, right, okay, I, I, okay, here we go. Uh, the, 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 there's, a, there's a general, okay, and, and the general is giving a military briefing to the troops, as I imagine it would be. Uh, they're headed out to D-Day, okay? It's this big battle that they're going into, and the enlisted men are all there, and, they're, and uh, the, the lieutenants and the sergeants and the, I don't know the terms and stuff, but, you know, the people who are like officers and the non-commissioned, I, I don't know, and the, the enlisted people, they're all there, and they're listening to the general, okay? Here we go, right? This is, where, this is good. And um, they're all listening to the generals. He's giving them orders. And sometimes those briefings aren't really clear. Point one, point two, point three. They're like reminders. They're a little bit of a pep talk. He's been preaching at them for 12 chapters. Right? I really do feel like Hebrews is a message. It's a sermon almost. And the pastor's been preaching at him for 12 sermons. 12, 12 sermons. 12 uh, chapters, right? And then chapter 13, he's like, all right, huddle up, everybody, okay? And let me give you a final briefing. Remember, people, stick with it. Love each other, okay? Honor your marriages. Don't love the money that you are so attracted to. Don't be tempted by that. Now follow your leaders, those of you. Remember, there's leaders among you who are gonna lead you into battle. You pay attention to them. Watch where they go. Follow their way of life. Okay, imitate how they do it. Okay, they get into the trench. You jump into the trench. You follow them. You obey them. They know what they're doing. They're there for a reason. Okay, remember. Remember why we're all doing this. Jesus has gone before you already. Okay, and so he, he's hitting different idea after different idea, and he's reminding the troops, before you head into battle, before you leave this place, you pay attention to the things that I've taught you, the things that are being taught to you, the things that you have learned, and remember, at the end of this, I'm gonna see you on the other side, and we're gonna give a sacrifice of praise, and we're gonna worship God for the victory that you're about to head into. Let's go, rah, rah, shish, kumba, right, okay? All right, yeah, okay, yeah. Some of you are like, what is going on? What kind of church did I show up to today? I understand, okay. So that's the idea, right? The passage is a little right after the another, one after another. He's shooting different ideas at us. And so as we come through this, we come to this point where then he's giving them, as I said earlier, he's giving them a reminder. He's giving them a teaching. He's giving something they know, but they need to be reminded on this. You need to pay attention to your leaders. So today's message is entitled, Follow the Leaders, Follow the leaders, and this is Hebrews 13, this section here. We're following the leader, right? 
You guys ever remember that, uh, the old classic Disney movie, uh, uh, Peter Pan, right? And they're all following the leader, the leader. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I, I see some of you Disney people. And uh, you're out there following the leader. They're all out there, the, the lost boys, and they're following the leader, and they don't really, wherever he will go, we follow the leader is what it says. And they don't really know where they're going. They're not paying attention to what happens. They get captured by the Indians, right? They get all right, because Tiger Lily is taken. You're like, see, this is the kind of church I wanted to show up to today. Yeah, see, now I'm more on your life. We have a military illustration, and we have like a kid's movie illustration. Okay, um, but this idea, they're following the leader. They don't really know where they're going. They're not paying attention, and they all get captured, and the leader doesn't know where he's going. The people aren't paying attention either. So this is the opposite of that. He's saying, look, we're following our leaders, but you need to pay attention and be careful. Okay, but the first point he says as he talks about leadership here in verse seven and verse nine here in the beginning, he also talks about it in verse 17 and 18 and he's telling them, remember the leaders. He says, remember your leaders, consider their way of life. He says to imitate their faith. He says to obey them and he says to submit to them and he says to pray for them. Right? Do you guys get all those verbs he's throwing at you? They're like remember, consider, imitate, obey, submit. Pray for. Okay, some of those you're like, well, some of those sound a little easier than others. Okay, well, we'll get into that. It is remember your leaders. Remember those who've gone before you. Don't jettison the past and those who've gone before you for an overemphasis on the new. Remember those who spoke to you the word of God in your past, he's saying. Look to them. And he does this as he's laid out Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of faith. So many different people Look at their faith and imitate them. Remember those who spoke to you the word of God. Be a preacher or a teacher or, or, or someone in your life who's preached and taught you the word. Remember them. Look to them. Look to their lives, he says. Look at how they live. And almost in a sense, he's keep up with them. They're marking the pace. They're setting the pace. You keep up with them. Listen to them. It's a reminder, it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting point as we're called here to remember, to consider. It says to consider the outcome of their way of life. As you look back in their way of life, learn from how they lived and what was the outcome of their faith. How is it that you also can learn and bear wisdom in your life by learning from others as the corporate body of the church, the people of faith, as we lean on one another as some have been called into leadership and to guide, let us lean in and press into them. And that's the concept here. Learn from those you know who have been speaking the word of God to you, who love you, consider their way of life and imitate their faith. This is the concept where he's speaking right into the church. This is what the church is about. We're not running individually on our own. We're running together and God set up people to set that pace that we can work together with Imitate and copy their faith. The word is very clear. Imitate like a, like a copycat almost in a kind of a sense. Uh, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate my life as I imitate Christ, this way of looking at it. Copycats, who are you imitating? Who are we following with our lives? Who are you listening to? As somebody said to me in, in the past, I, I can tell you where you'll be in 10 years by looking at your friends, right? Have you ever heard that? Maybe you tell your kids that in high school, right? I can tell you who you'll be in 10 years by looking at the friends you have right now. Why, because the people that are in our lives that are speaking life into us or not speaking life into us, the people that we're copying, the people we're emulating and trying to be like is often who we will be. 
What we are to be, we are now becoming, was the motto of my school growing up. Or what we are becoming is, is really who you're following. Who is it that you're following? Who is it that you're keeping up with? When you're really young, we look to our parents. I know when I come home, I'm like a celebrity when I come into the house. My kids come running to me, Daddy, right? But I've heard from some parents that that doesn't always stay the same, right? You come home and uh, I don't believe the teenagers come running out of their room, Daddy, right? I mean, I'm hoping in my head, I'll be like, I'm gonna be the different parent that that still exists. Probably not. I'll have a big awakening call at some point where they're all of a sudden too cool for you, right? They're too cool for school and they're too cool for their parents, right? All of a sudden you find this place where you're trying to, and that's part of life actually, it's part of them growing up and starting to learn uh, who they are as an individual. But then as I've grown up and grown into great maturity here in my older age, I've, uh, I've learned that all of a sudden that comes full circle, does it not? Where all of a sudden you, you grow up a little bit and you enter a phase where you, you realize your parents are, are a lot cooler than you ever thought, right? Uh, they're, they're, a, they're a lot more uh, good, better at life than you ever realized before, right? All of a sudden life hits you a little bit. Life's a little harder than you thought and you look back at all the things that your parents did for you in amazement. Believe me, I do this all the time. And it's like, wow, I can't believe all the things that I missed that I took for granted then that now I realize were an absolute gift to me. And so I begin to look back on their leadership and I look back at what they did in my life and I think about how can I learn from their testimony in my life. Remembering the leaders in my life, yes, in the church, pastors, elders, but also the sense of even people within the family of God that he's put in there, how can we learn from them? And sometimes it takes time for us to even value what we've had in the past because they're so pressing forward into the future, we forget all that we've been built into us. Like Timothy, Timothy, remember your mother and your grandmother and what they taught you, Paul says to Timothy. And remember how you've been taught the word of faith as a young child. And so this sense of following the leaders is so important. It's so important to imitate the right leaders and to look and be careful who it is you're emulating your life after. And so who is that for you? Who is it that you look up to in the faith? Who is it that you're following in these ways? Is it someone who knows your name and loves you and cares for you and can speak into your life? Or is it just someone on a TV screen or a YouTube channel that doesn't know who you are that you're following more than the people that love you, that are near and dear to you, that are close to you on a daily basis? And for me, I've already mentioned my parents. My parents were influential in my life, are where I am today. Not everybody can say that though. Not everybody has two parents that are influential in their life. I understand that. We all come from different backgrounds. There are different people that speak life into you and those different situations. When I look back on my growing up years and I think about how in the world did I ever become a pastor and I look back on my family and the people in my life, my grandfather and my father and, uh, and my family that was around me that, that really helped prepare me for what I'm doing today. I feel like sometimes I won the lottery with my parents, right? And it's like, how do, you, how do you take, how do you truly bless them for this? How do you truly value the things that you've been taught from a young age? How do you remember them and emulate and imitate their way of life? God's called me to some sense now of church leadership, uh, being a spiritual leader, uh, even though that's sometimes hard for me to even get through in my head. Uh, but, but I've been called to preach the word of God and read the word of God and study it and to teach it to others and to pastor and to emulate this for other people. But it's not just happened overnight. In a lifetime of people instructing and discipling me, as many of you can attest to those things in your own life. 
that this is where you are today is because so many of the people that are around you, and that, I would, that is what I wanna foster here at this church, a place where people can come, no matter their background or their stage in this journey, but they can come together, and we can support each other in the different levels of maturity that we have. Some here are brand new. Some of you, I've even just last, within the last couple of weeks, gave some of you your first Bibles, and yet some of you have had a Bible since you were the day you were born, that you were given one within the church, and you've grown up in church your whole life. So how can we disciple each other? How can we remember the past? And how can we be that for someone else in our life? How can we be someone who says, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ? How can you imitate my faith as I lead? Can I do that? Many of you are doing that right now. And you have been doing that for a long time. But then he says, hey, be careful. Be careful because um, as you do this, it says in verse nine, don't be led away by other people trying to lead and teach you into a different direction. So he gives the positive. Remember those people who are speaking life into you and speaking the word of God to you. They love you, emulate their way of life, but be careful, don't do the opposite. And be careful for there are many who are trying to teach you and lead you in a different direction. So don't be led away. Driving down the road, hey, don't take your eyes off the road. Keep your eyes on the road. This whole book of Hebrews has been built around this concept of running the race. Or, or driving, right? The, the roads, and when you're on a road, there's so many signs that are pointing, warning, contents this way, warning danger, warning sharp turn, or on your, your hot coffee, warning contents hot, right? There's all these warning labels of danger, alert, falling rocks, these kinds of things, construction ahead, swim at your own risk, warn, 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 careful, signs. There's signs everywhere. And it's important to start learning to read the signs, right? This passage here gives us signs about things that we can pick up from. Or, you know, there's signs that you need to start learning and discernment and growing in maturity. And as you uh, come into the, the community of faith, we learn to read the signs together and help each other to learn what's true and what's not, what's right and what's counterfeit, you know? It's like the, those whole jokes, I don't know, they came out in the 90s, like, here's your sign, right? You might, you might be a redneck if, right? Some of you, right, okay? You might be a redneck, I remember, if, if uh, you have a mobile home and, and yet you have 15 cars that don't run, right? You know, you might be a redneck if, right? Here's your sign, right? How do you know that you're a redneck? Well, here's your sign, right? How do you know it's counterfeit? How do you know it's false teaching? How do you know it's strange and diverse and perverse? How do you know? Well, here's your sign. Here's a sign, and the word of God is so prolific without this that's helping us to encounter the truth so that we can be able to understand the areas that are leading us in the wrong direction, right? How do we know? What's the sign? There's so many of these things. It's, it's this aspect that teaches us here. There's a, it's strange, right? It's diverse. It's a, in a different direction, and there's always varieties of solutions to fix the problem that someone's trying to sell you. It's always the same kind of formula, some kind of infomercial, but just uh, you know, in a different kind of way. You know, there's something missing in your life that you need. You have a problem that's presented. It's probably not real, or maybe it's real, but this leader comes and says, I'm the one who will fix that problem for you. I have the answer. Follow me. And here is this shiny new, brand new kind of strange thing that will fix all your problems. Take this pill, do this thing, buy this, that. Subscribe to me, buy my product, watch this, watch that. It's gonna be so much better. And it's a lot of over-promising and a lot of under-delivering. So often what happens in these, it's the same formula that was in Hebrews and in their day and time. And in so many of First Timothy and Second Peter and Jude, when he's talking about being careful not to uh, take these things hook, line, and sinker, 
And here the people are being tempted to go back into the things that they had been uh, needing to be a Christian, but to then go back into the law and add that to their life. And he's saying, don't, you've been set free from this. He said, you've been set free from the dietary restrictions and the food laws and these things. Those are past. You don't need to add that to your Christian life now. Past that, for you've been set free by the law of grace. Don't go back into the food and the laws and this and that and adding this to get the results you need. So you could say, you know, don't, buy the, don't buy the shake weight theology. <laughs> don't buy the as seen on TV answers to your life that will fix all your problems overnight. Don't, don't fix or buy the, the, the snuggy doctrine of your spiritual life. Don't buy the ShamWow teaching that will unlock whatever is missing for you for it's always over-promising and most of the time under-delivering. Get this, do this, do that. It won't satisfy. It's not gonna strengthen you. That's what he's saying. Look, you add these kinds of things. It's not gonna strengthen you. That's not how we're strengthened. We're strengthened by grace. And so this sense of, of for by grace you have been saved through faith. For, for my grace is sufficient. Go back to Jesus. Follow him for what he is. How can I say this in some ways in the sense of, 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 of this importance of valuing the past, yes, and yes, embracing the new, but not always just running hard after something that comes along the way. And so it's this way I think that is helpful if, if that wasn't, uh, if, if that helps you think through those two ideas. I think what's helpful is the verse that's sandwiched in between. This is the glue that's holding it together. If you look at verse eight. When I first read this, I almost felt like verse eight was out of place. Like, it seemed kind of odd. Like I said, it's this military briefing in the sense of, of, of preaching all these things and it seems all odd for all of a sudden, it's like, why is verse eight there? Where verse eight says, Jesus is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. And I thought, what does that have to do with anything of remembering our leaders imitating their faith and not being, uh, going after strange new things? Like, what is, what is he talking about? How does this fit? And I found that this becomes kind of the meat in the sandwich, the bread on one side and the bread on the other side. In verse eight, it's the meat in the middle that holds everything together. Why? Because in a sense, he's saying, remember those in the past. Don't buy the first strange new thing that comes sold to you right now and lead you astray. Why? Well, because Jesus is the same yesterday in the past, today, and forever. Truth is timeless. Jesus is timeless. He's alive, he's the alpha and the omega, he is true. And I'm not advocating we never change anything, no, that's not true. Or we never update, or we never seek to worship in the language that we communicate, or we only read the Bible in a certain language of the past. It's not, I'm, I'm not saying we don't try to communicate to culture or be relevant in certain areas, it's not what this is saying, that we just never change anything. But I think in the past, when, when Augustine wrote, or Luther, or Spurgeon, or whoever, throughout the church, the early church fathers, and the, the church from that time period and now, when they spoke truth, they spoke it into the culture that they lived in, and they wrote what they knew and understood. We do the same today. It's the same truth. Jesus is the same then, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. And so we preachers, sometimes I, I get pretty good at preaching kind of the same thing every week. You know, sometimes I feel like a little bit of a broken record at times. We read from the same Bible. I talk about the same Jesus. Uh, and I, in some way, shape, or form, we preach the same thing each week. We need to be reminded of these things. And yes, there's ways that I try to make it in a way that you can understand. We try to be able to teach in a way that we can grasp. But the fact is, the message is the same. 
I don't need to always try to repackage or make the message more palatable for today's culture. I just need to preach the word of God, right? It just needs to be let loose. Charles Spurgeon says the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. You have to, all you have to do is let it, the lion, loose and the lion will defend itself. We preach the word, we teach the word, we do it, yes, in our modern culture, it's 2022, we're gonna seek ways in which we can do that. But the problem that I think so often is you're gonna get people trying to repackage some form of false truth or false teaching in their way and, their, and, and in their interpretation and try to get you to follow them, not follow Jesus. And so be careful is what he's saying. Be careful because Jesus never changes. The church doesn't have to reinvent the wheel over and over. We have a message that works. <laughs> we have life, we have the gospel, and that's enough. Buildings come and go, trends come and go, but the word of God, the truth, the Jesus Christ, the power that is found within his name is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, and here at Hope we preach Jesus. We preach Jesus. And that's what I aim to do the best way I know how. Now, if we skip kind of on this, we're on this kind of uh, this, uh, theme of leadership, we're on this theme of remembering our leaders and being careful who we listen to and preach, but then it goes all the way to verse 17. So we're gonna look at that middle section of the passage here to close at the end. But look over with me at the, uh, verse 17 and 18. You'll see kind of the theme that we lead with this leadership concept of following the leaders. Here he goes into a passage, obey your leaders and submit to them. All right, we can close our Bibles and I'll close in prayer. Here we go. Now, I understand this fact. This is a little challenging sometimes. It's straightforward, and yet there's some challenges, is there not? As I would clarify, it's not this blindly following leadership and do whatever they say. As long as it accords with sound doctrine, the Bible says. As long as what they teach accords with sound doctrine. Obey and submit to them as they teach and preach. As long as it aligns with Scripture. Be like the Bereans, searching the, the truth. Seek to, to, to protect against aspects of power-hungry leaders who seek to abuse a congregation or fill their narcissistic tanks or seek the attention for themselves or neglect the flock in order to fill their own pockets. Be careful of that kind of leadership. We see it on the news all the time. And the reason I'm even bringing these up is because we are very much aware of these things. And yet I also wanna caution us because what we see on the news often blasted across the news phase of this pastor's moral failure, this church abuse situation, whatever it might be, sometimes that can allow us to get a little cynical at the church, can it not? We can, we can be and allow ourselves, as, as we would say, we, get, we, can, we can get a little salty. You ever feel, you ever feel a little salty sometimes? You know what I mean? You're a little cynical. I've, I feel that way sometimes. You get a little cynical, and then, and then what happens is you get um, a little, little critical. Not critical where criticism is warranted, but critical in that no one meets the standard that you have set for every single person. And so we have to be careful as a church to yes, criticize leadership in a sense when they fall and fail to uphold the word of God, but to to also be careful that we don't get so cynical that we end up not trusting anyone around us and not trusting any leader in our life and therefore we miss the blessing that is supposed to be an advantage to you. Do you see what the passage says in verse 17 and 18? It says it's actually an advantage that you obey and submit to true spiritual authority in your life. It's actually to your advantage, it says in verse, uh, in some of you, verse 17. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
It's no advantage that you constantly kick against the goads, as Paul would say. It's of no advantage to you that you're not willing to listen to the pastor that's preaching into your life. It's of no advantage to you in that. So be careful that we don't get so cynical or in our, and believe me, I'm a New Englander, a little New Englander, individualistic mentality. Ain't nobody telling me what to do, okay? I, I'm not listening. You don't, you, know, you don't tell me what to do, Pastor. I get that. I do. I don't. I'm Jordan. I'm just a person. I don't get to tell you what to do. The problem is I've been called by God to preach the word of God, which believe me, the word of God gets to tell you what to do, right? Because Jesus is the living word. And so if, if the word of God is pushing you today or at a different time in a message, that's a good thing. The Holy Spirit is working in your life. He's molding you and shaping you into Christ-like character. So many times in our lives, the word of God kind of, oh man, that hurt a little bit, you know? Man, I, I needed that today, right? The word of God is pushing us a little bit. That is to your advantage, he's saying. So, so submit to these things. And God has ultimately, as he says in this passage, God has ultimately called these leaders, these elders, these pastors, has called them to pastor, which means to shepherd, which is what this passage says in verse 17. They've been called to keep watch over your soul, keeping watch, like a shepherd keeps watch over a flock. And the reason I know he's going at this song is in a few verses later, I believe it's verse 20. Verse 20, which we'll look at next week, it speaks to Jesus, who is the great shepherd of the sheep. The great shepherd of the sheep. We, we often say as an elder team, it, we're, we're under shepherds serving the over shepherd. I've been called as an under shepherd to, I've called, I've been called by God to be a steward of a flock, to be an under shepherd of the great over shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd, he says. We all look to him, I'm looking to him, you are as well but we are called here in this passage, specifically obey these leaders, submit to them, why? Just because I told you so. No, that's what I get to tell my uh, six-year-old, right? <laughs> why, daddy? Because daddy said so, right? But that's not that great, the word of God doesn't always do that, right? It doesn't just say do this because I told you so. And he says do this, why? Well, these leaders are, are under a little bit of accountability here. These leaders, yes, need to be kept accountable by the people in the church and the congregation alike, but, but they are also being given account, they are giving account to God. God calls them to be accountable to him, and God will ultimately hold these leaders accountable. James 3.1 gives a further warning where James 3 says, I wish that not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Hebrews 13, 17, keeping watch over your souls for those who will have to give, for those are the ones who will have to give an account. I, I hesitate sharing some of these. I've, I've preached on this verse in the past and I've, I've brought it into some of these things. It's probably not the first time you've heard this verse, but I hesitate to share some of this because I don't, I'm not really looking for sympathy today. I know sometimes it's hard for me to preach on leadership when I'm in leadership, you know, so. Um, and so I hesitate sharing some aspects just because, again, I'm not trying to bring attention to myself. Not, the elders aren't the kind of people here. Jerry was up here. They're not looking for attention and, and looking like, oh, woe is us, feel sorry for us, okay? That's not, that's not my intention, so hopefully you can understand where I'm coming from. But I, I do think this warrants some brief attention before we kind of get to the final passage here. But this verse has is, is, is been one that has, has truly impacted me. And I know many of the elders speak of it often as well. That there is a certain weight that comes with, with church. And I love you guys. I really do. 
It's not always easy to say that. There are things in my own life that I need to figure out. There's things in, in your life that I wish I could help with. And, and sometimes I feel limited in my capability to be able to handle these things. And yet there's a real weight here, right? That I feel like it's important that we feel. In my brief ministry here at Hope, I really just seven years or so, almost seven years here, it, it's, I can say with joy that verse 17 is let them do this with joy. And for the great majority of this time, it has been that way, with joy. <laughs> like, I actually like coming to church, right? <laughs> I actually like most of you right now, joking, okay, right? But this idea, right, of, of, wow, that's pretty neat to think about, that we can actually minister as elders with joy, not with groaning, not with groaning. But, but if we're taking this seriously, it, we're keeping watch over your finances, keeping watch over your athletic skill in a sport, you're keeping, wa- keeping watch over your soul. I'm gonna have to give an account for how I managed and stewarded the souls that were entrusted to me. Not entrusted to me to uphold and save in my power, no, but to steward with what energy and the source of the spirit that God has given me, how is it that I have used that to bless the people around me? We're not playing a game here. Have you ever thought about this? This isn't a game. This, this isn't just like a club, you know? Like, there's something more powerful here. Because we're talking about each life, the little babies that I see in this church, from the oldest in here, that, that there is a living, breathing soul in them. And there is an enemy out there. We've waged not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers that are out there. There's an evil darkness that is seeking to, to, to steal, kill, and destroy. And if we, as elders especially, speaking to the elders, if we sit back and relax as if this is a game, we are missing it. We, we, be, we war against this in prayer, in studying and knowing the truth to present that as bread for people to nourish their souls. And we love when we can and we say we're sorry when we make mistakes. We humble ourselves because many times, and many of the elders know, I know from firsthand, they, they often feel inadequate for what they've been called to do. But we didn't jump into this. Yes, to desire the office of an elder is to desire a good thing, the Bible says. But it is not something to take lightly. And it is not something to treat the church as simply a social thing. Is there blessing? Is there fun? Is there happiness and joy? Yes, tons of it. But there is also a war that is going on. Let us put on the whole armor of God, right? Ephesians 6. Let us war in this manner and let us shepherd and care for the souls that God has placed in this place. And I think we do our best for that and forgive us when we do not meet the standards that we even set for ourselves. Forgive us for these things. But I honestly say that we are doing our best and seeking to do with what we have in front of us to do with what we know and to do it in love. I don't wanna do this in a way that's we're better than you, we have this position, obey and submit and get in line. That is, if you get that from us here at church, then we are sorry. There is not the aspect here. We are a flock, we are a people. 
We are following and running this race together. God has set up certain people to lead in that manner and for you to imitate their life. That is a clear distinction that God has set up. He has set up leaders in the church to care and to shepherd and to love, to protect and to guide and direct and to teach. And so we ought to press into that. But I also would say, like verse 18 says, would you pray for us? Verse 18, Hebrews 13, pray for us. Pray for us, he says, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, but we desire to act honorably in all things. We desire to act honorably. Far be it from this place that our leadership or my leadership would ever soil or taint the gospel of Jesus Christ, but this place and this pulpit would be a place that honors the things of God, that honors the gospel, and that honors the message of Jesus Christ and what he's done on our behalf that we could be a people humbly working and living with one another. But we, we can't do that alone. We need you praying for us. Would you pray for us, pray for us, pray for us? And so with that, we go right into the end of kind of the, again, the, the source of why you're doing all of this, why all of these real clear, straight up commands has been given. Why is any of this happening? Well, he gives kind of a, a summary, little few quick verses. This is in verses, really, verses 10 through 13, where he, he gives this summary of why all of this has been going. Frankly, this is what he's been saying from the whole book of Hebrews up until this now. So we're gonna start reading the whole book of Hebrews again now. We're just gonna look at these last couple of verses, and literally, he's giving you a concept and an idea that he's been teaching in a variety of ways, and he brings out a very, a fantastic Old Testament illustration. You remember, in Hebrews, he always go into the Old Testament. If you were to look in um, this idea of verse, uh, verse 10, verse 11, where he, verse 11, he says, for the bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest, a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. You see that? Verse 12, so Jesus also suffered where? outside the gate. This is the point he's making. If you look in Exodus 29 or Leviticus 16, you see these same words used. Exodus chapter 29, but the flesh of a bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Exodus 29. Leviticus 16, 27, speaking of the one day of year, the day of atonement. 16 verse 27. It says, and the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be carried where? It will be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. This is this picture, this separation. The holiness of God is viewed primarily through a separation. Holiness means there is something separate and distinct and different. God is wholly separate. Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, separate away from us. We don't come to Mount Sinai. We don't even dare touch the mountain. Mount Zion, we are welcomed in. Come on in. It's a party in here. It's a festive. The angels are singing. There's praise. You are welcome to come in. Why? Because something has been taken outside the camp so that you can remain inside. I can remember if you, many of you live around here, you grew up around here potentially, and around here, you, if you don't live in the city, 
You live in rural New Hampshire. You get to enjoy the woods, right? Many of you, you know the phrase. What is it called? It's the forest. No, it's the woods, right? That's what everyone calls it. I am going into the woods. But it's in the woods where all sorts of things happen. And uh, I can still remember um, when I was living, uh, this is several years ago, we had a raccoon problem at our house. And uh, the raccoons kept getting up on to our deck and eating the trash. And being the man that I am, I uh, finally said, I'm gonna put a stop to that, especially because it was like one in the morning. And it tick- there is nothing like noises and sounds at one in the morning, I tell you what, especially when it's five oversized, small adult-sized uh, raccoons, right? And they are getting onto the deck, tearing the trash, and I had it, and I took my gun, because I do have one, it was my dad's, but I took my rifle and I literally like kicked open the door and was like, what's up? And I shot um, some raccoons. I'm sorry if that's illegal or illegal, I don't know, but I was so angry at one in the morning. And I literally just busted open the door like a movie. It's probably one of the manliest things I've ever done in my life. And it was just like boom, boom. And I shot two, killed one. The other friends literally were jumping off the side of the deck. We're like, whoa, this guy means business. They're running off into the woods. And I can still remember taking that one raccoon. And I don't know if it was like one of those moments like where you, you pray over the animal in those discovery shows. They're always like, thank you for your life, all this stuff. I don't know. I was angry at that moment. And then later on, I left it. It was cold, so I went back in. The next morning, I took that animal that I had killed. It was into my inside my house practically, at least what it felt like, and I dragged that animal into the woods, far out into the woods. And you know what I did? I left it. I didn't bury it. And you know what? It's never to be seen today. There is plenty of animals out in that woods that enjoyed that offering that I gave them, right? (laughs) And so I brought that animal far out into the woods, and I left it, and I came back. Probably as another sign to all its friends, you know? But I came back inside my house, and I lived in freedom and openness. I wasn't woken up again in the night. They never came back. But this idea is a silly illustration for the exact picture he's giving to us. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus, the priest would take and bear on that goat the sins of the people. He would consecrate that goat. He would bear the sins of the people and pray over it as he placed his hand on that goat. That goat was then termed, as we use, as you're familiar with, a scapegoat. The word scapegoat comes from the Bible. It was a scapegoat brought in outside the camp as a sin offering to take your sins far away to never be seen again so that you could remain in the camp in fellowship with God who dwelt in the tabernacle. In like manner, Jesus has been taken where? Outside the gates, outside the camp to bear the sins for you so that you didn't have to be dragged down the Via Dolorosa and hung to the cross, but Jesus took your sins and nailed it to a cross. He bore your sins. He nailed it to a tree. He became the scapegoat. He became the one who absorbed the sin, who took it outside the gate in order that you would be sanctified, in order that you would be now separate from that sin, in order that you would now live pursuing holiness and godliness, seeking to be and be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ, for you have been made like him because you've been sanctified through his blood through his body which was taken and that blood is now sprinkled on the holy seat which he's taught us in Hebrews is not the holy seat made with hands there in the tabernacle or the temple but the one that dwells in heaven. He sprinkles it in the holy seat, the dwelling place of God in heaven. He then intercedes for you and for me 
so that we can now come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need, that you can come to have fellowship with God, you can dwell inside the camp and be there in beautiful Edenic-like fellowship in an already not yet phase, for he will one day fulfill all of that when he returns. But notice this as we close. This is an incredible shift that happens in verse 13. The incredible shift is that we don't stay inside the camp. Verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. You're like, wait, what? I, I thought I got to stay on my nice comfy couch, right, inside the camp. Now he says, now that you've received that freedom, go outside. Go outside the camp, and there may come a time when you have to bear the reproach that Jesus Christ bears. Second Peter and First Peter speak into it that you will share in the sufferings of Christ. For it is a blessing to do that. But rejoice insofar that you share in the sufferings of Christ. And rejoice and be glad for his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So as you go outside the camp, you might have to bear the reproach that he's endured, but don't worry because you don't have a city that's lasting here in that way. You're not tied up into the world. Rather, you're looking for one that is yet to come, like Abraham, who was looking for a city who had a foundation, not with walls, but a foundation whose builder and founder is God. Our faith looks forward to these things unseen. Therefore, we can endure the suffering that we find in this life, and we find it great joy to be counted ones who endure suffering and trials with Christ. Hebrews 11, we look forward to these things and also, honestly, what at the end of the day, what can people do to me? The Lord is my helper, Hebrews 13, 6. I will not fear what man can do to me. So go outside the gate and bear that reproach if that comes because you find a savior who has given you something that cannot be taken from you. And then our response at the end is what we're gonna do and close this service. We're gonna praise him. <laughs> we're about to sing a song called A Thousand Hallelujahs speaks into praising God forever, singing hallelujahs to his name, because look what it says, verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What does a sacrifice of praise look like? Well, Romans 12 says it's a living sacrifice, your life. Here it also says it's the fruit of your lips that acknowledge his name. Can you in this service stand and sing that song? And, and the fruit of your lips, your words acknowledge his, his name. You are praising him, alleluia, you say to him. You praise his name because of what you believe and the faith and what it, that you have, that you're working out as you day in and day out follow the Jesus, Jesus who leads the way. We worship him. Michael Kruger says worship is the most natural response to redemption. Worship is the most natural response to redemption. That's what you see in every of these passages. You've been redeemed, you've been saved, your blood of Jesus has washed you and sanctified you clean. You can come into and stay inside the camp. You can come to him and have fellowship with God. What's your response to that? As Jerry was saying earlier, just sit back with your hands on your hips and, right? No, our, our, our response to that is praising God for what he's done. We, we acknowledge his name, we praise him, for these sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let the Lord have your praise today. Sing out those thousand hallelujahs to his name.
Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these things. We praise you for these things. May you be honored and glorified in what we offer to you today. Lord, we think about our hearts and where we find ourselves today. It may, may be that we're going through something that it is hard to sing praises to you. We find ourselves in a place where these words are difficult, they're challenging. And yet, God, we thank you. Let us dwell in thanksgiving and gratefulness in our hearts for what you've done for us. Let us be welled up in that and praise you. In the middle of the storm or whether we're by a quiet place beside still waters, may we praise the Lord, the shepherd of our souls who leads us and guides us. God, we're looking to you. We praise you for these things. Lord, we need you in the middle of all of this time. Would you be glorified today in this, in this service and in the time to come? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.